This is Nicole Doily, and welcome to Season 6 of Let's Talk Conversations on Race. Here we discuss various topics on race, hoping to spark conversation and foster greater understanding. Remember to subscribe to Let's Talk on your favorite podcast platform. And if you'd like our monthly newsletter, please sign up at NicoleDoily.com. Now, let's talk. Black and brown youth have two different realities from, you know, a white youth that lives in the suburbs. The youth who are black and brown, if I live in the inner city, you know, I'm getting off the bus and I'm getting off the bus next to a liquor store. I see drunk people hanging out outside. What I see out of my front doors and what I'm looking at down the street and what I have to walk past every single morning, whether I'm going to school or whether I'm going to the store, is gonna look completely different from a white youth that may live in the suburbs. Today on Let's Talk, I'm joined by Donovan Dodd, who works with youth both vocationally and in church ministry. And we're going to talk about the world of young people. What are they thinking about? What are they dealing with, struggling with, and overcoming? It is so good to have you, Pastor Don. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm so excited for this. Um, I know that it's been a long time coming, but I'm so glad that we're able to pull it together and I'm ready to rock and roll with you. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. So you are always surrounded by young people. (laughs) Yes. So can you first tell us about your work in the public school system? What do you do there? So currently right now, I'm a social learning specialist. Before this position, previously, I was what was called a youth violence prevention specialist. Mm. So in that area of work, in that field, what we would do was create bridges of peace wherever there were chaos and violence. Um, That job was really hands-on in the city of Rochester. So, you know, we were going to homicides. We were going to, you know, the inner city and working with gangs. We were also inside the schools, right? So inside the high schools and the elementary schools, we were making our presence known and we were making ourselves available to the youth and just being able to help out. But as a social learning specialist, I'm able to still do those things, but I'm even able to do it in a greater level because we're dealing with the social and emotional aspects uh, with youth and helping them to navigate through their emotions and also with social skills to solve problems. Wow, that sounds amazing. That sounds um, challenging, but rewarding. Um, I want to talk more about that, but I, let's back up a little bit. Can you tell us what your youth was like, what your teenage years was like, and if that at all propelled you into this career? Yes. So my teenage years were crazy. <laughs> um, and I say that in a good way. They were crazy. They were interesting, but it was also fun. Um, growing up in the inner city, the reason why I say that it was fun was because, you know, I had a normal childhood. I loved to play sports football, basketball. Mm. Um, I love to hang out with friends. I love to even just catch the bus with friends down at the mall and we were window shop, right? Mm. You didn't always have money. Mm -hmm. Um, But I stay crazy and interesting because um, as I began to grow older through my teenage years, I experienced a lot of peer pressure. Mm. And it came, you know, from different angles of just peers at school and also just my friends that I knew in my community, friends in my environment. And What I didn't really realize was that there was a void in my life, a void in my heart um, that kind of made me navigate more towards fulfilling the voids. Mm. Right. So, you know, things 
such as um, alcohol, uh, drugs, mm. um, and even being sexually active at a very young age. Mm. Because of the void that I had in my life, I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to feel like I was a part of something. I wanted to um, just have those voids filled. Mm. So you you had those voids even though you had a happy childhood. It doesn't, you know, I'm assuming you grew up with, you know, your mom and dad or both or one or. So I kind of grew up in a broken home. Okay. Um, mom raised my sister and I. Okay. And uh, my dad was in my life, but in my household setting, it was just mom. Um, and, you know, mom did a, a great job with raising us. My father also did as well. But mm -hmm. just mainly at home, it was just us three. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yes, yeah, so there were still some holes that needed to, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we're going to, I'm so glad, listen, we're going to be able to dive more into this. And I think even the other questions, we're going to see how it really correlates. Yeah, right. When there's a, when there's a void and you, especially if you're in with a crowd who's trying to fill their own void with the wrong thing. Yes. It's very, yes. it's very easy to get swept up into that stream. Yes, it is. Yeah. So one study said that there are 10 main things that you struggle with today. Um, and they include things like things that you would expect, like depression, bullying, sexual activity, like you talked about, though, thankfully, teenage pregnancy is on the decline. But still, there's plenty of sexual activity going on. Um, drugs and alcohol, academic issues, peer pressure, like you talked about, including sexting. And there's more, but, you know, we'll, we'll stop at that for, for today. <laughs> Can you tell us what you see in the youth that you work with in schools, what some of their struggles are? Yes. Uh, the biggest one that I would definitely say is identity issues. Mm. Um which is even more linked to things like confusion, depression, bullying, sexual activity. And I want to just, I want to touch on all of those a little bit, but I want to yeah. also just dive into the sexual activity part. Yeah. Um, we're seeing a high incline um, in our teenagers just being sexually active, um, not knowing who they are, not knowing their value, their worth. Mm. Um, this is all connected to identity. Mm. Um, we're seeing a lot of youth uh, not knowing how to express themselves socially, not being able to, you know, really express how they feel or, you know, this made me upset. Um, this hurt me. So they're, they're not really um, expressing themselves and, and just really being social. They're kind of like locking everything in and bottling everything in the inside. Mm -hmm. um, and again, the things that you listed, uh, I agree, we're seeing that a lot. Drugs and alcohol are high also. Uh, youth are struggling right now with drugs and alcohol as a means of therapy and a mm -hmm. relief to the hardships of life mm -hmm. um, and even tough moments. Um, the thing that we're really seeing is even in tough moments, they feel defeated. So, you know, they'll resort to, hey, I need to smoke weed. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a moment. And sometimes they make these moments feel as if, it's, it's, a, it's something that's longer than a moment. Mm -hmm. um, so they're using, again, drugs and alcohol as a means to relief of hardships in life and even those tough moments mm -hmm. um, as some type of therapy. Mm -hmm. Academically, um, we're seeing that also that's a huge issue. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of students, they don't have the drive for academic success. Mm -hmm. It's not there. Mm -hmm. um, they're coming to school and they, they, they just... It's sort of like they don't want to be there. They're not really engaged at times. So we're always trying to push them and encourage them and finding 
different ways to kind of keep them in the room mm. or even um, having acquired a space for them to work inside of the schools. Social skills, you know, this is a serious struggle. Uh, kids now more than ever, they're mean to each other. Um, and again, kids don't know how to express themselves and express what they're feeling, express their emotions, but they don't know how to problem solve in a healthy manner while using social skills. Mm -hmm. And it's important we're social beings, right? Yeah. Um, so a lot of the times, there could be something that's very small, I mean, a minimal issue, and it begins to grow bigger and bigger because tension begins to build up and they kind of just sometimes allow conflict or these small situations to kind of go overboard. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, you know, we'll step in and we'll have these conversations with them. And it's like, hey, why didn't you just communicate how you felt? Mm -hmm. Sometimes they don't know how, how to communicate those feelings or those, those emotions. Other times, sometimes they thought that another way was more proper than being able to just be social and communicate. Mm -hmm. Like going back to the peer pressure again, if they see other kids trying to resolve things through violence, then they assume that that's normal. Exactly. Yes. And we're going to dive more into that even um, with, 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 you know, I want to talk a little bit about this even more moving ahead. Um, but yeah, the things that they identify as being normal um, really becomes a part of how they how they deal with things. So as an example, um, let's say there's a small situation to where uh, there's some type of conflict between two students mm -hmm. and a student that is not used to talking things out with another student, they're used to fighting. Mm -hmm. we've, we've, uh, we, we have students, you know, their track record is they fight a lot, they're, they're suspended a lot. You know, that student might re resort, their first resort might just be to fight mm -hmm. and to get the situation over and done with. This is what they believe is gonna make it over and done with. They don't know that this is gonna be a, a greater issue or a greater problem mm -hmm. and it doesn't resolve anything. We, there, we, we didn't get anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a fight that happened, but the main issue is not resolved. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, we're trying to encourage them and letting them know like, hey, this is actually normal for us to sit down and be able to express how we feel um, and to also see somebody else's perspective or point of view for clarity. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot, of the, a lot of the time it's one-sided. It's kind of just, this is what I feel, this is what I think, and this is how you made me feel, so this is why I reacted mm -hmm. without actually giving the other person you know, some time to express their point of view of why they did what they did or why they see things the way that they see them. Mm -hmm. You know, when we sit down and we talk and we, and we converse, it brings a lot of clarity. It clears up a lot of things and it fills in those gaps. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there are things that youth today are, that they're, things that they're dealing with that previous generations didn't have to deal with? And do you feel like things are sort of, the same, they've always been this way, or do you feel like youth today deal with more violence or more more of any of these other things because life is harder for them? What do you think? I think that it's not the same. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, it's, it's very much different. Times have changed. They have access to the internet and technology mm -hmm. and all these different social platforms. And so things that are created, let's use social platforms as an example. Mm -hmm. So something that's created to help us to be more sociable, right? Or uh, to be more social mm -hmm. with other people. Um, something that's a, a tool that we can use to communicate. And we're seeing videos of fights uploaded on there. We're seeing a lot of group chats that I made with youth. Mm -hmm. uh, they create these group chats with the intent 
of arguing with each other and also just trying to, you know, trying to agree on locations to meet up and fight. Mm. Um, so social platforms are are not being really used um, in, a, in a right manner. Um, and they have so much, again, they have so much access to the internet and technology. They're watching fight videos and, you know, they're watching all these other videos and they're gaining all this information. We have to remember that parents are not the only one that's raising their children, mm-hmm. right? The internet is also helping to raise their children. Social media is helping to raise their children. Mm-hmm. Their friends, their peers, um, their, their teachers, uh, leaders, these are all people that are part of their community that are helping to raise them up. So the things that they have access to is completely different mm-hmm. um, than what it was from when even I was growing up. Mm-hmm. What about substance abuse? I heard that, you know, the days of needing to go and find somebody to deal drugs is over, that you could send a text and somebody will deliver them at your doorstep. (laughs) So do you feel like there's greater access to illicit drugs? I would even say, depending on where you live, you know, there's there's even greater access. Um, some kids can walk out of their doors and it's just right there. It's at the corner of the street. Mm-hmm. Some kids are walking to the corner store and, you know, there's four guys right there just, you know, trying to sell you a bag of weed for $10 or $20. Mm-hmm. It's not hard to get drugs anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's really not. And again, depending on where you live, it's at your front doorstep. Mm-hmm. They can text each other. We're seeing kids uh, sell drugs even to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being honest, we're seeing it. It's, it's something big. It's a, it's a hard situation. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things that we're seeing also is, you know, kids are smoking in school. They're vaping, they're smoking marijuana, mm-hmm. and there's other drugs that are also being done in school mm-hmm. because of the access that they have. Mm-hmm. Whether it's somebody dropping the drugs off to them at school or it's, you know, they're, they're sneaking them inside the school whether it's them walking outside their front door mm-hmm. and it just being right there, walking to the corner store again, walking to the bus stop. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a serious problem. And, you know, there's this sort of controversy going on right now, like as marijuana becomes legal in more and more states and some people yeah. think that's fine and some people don't think it's fine. But one of the problems with it is that a lot of this marijuana is mixed with synthetic things. Um, so it's not just, oh, you know, it's natural. It comes out of the ground. No, (laughs) you know, it's not, it's not just sort of, it's not literally weed. It's weed plus something that could kill you. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So even, even just talking about that, right. Uh, with weed being legal, you have to be 21 years old. Oh, right. You yes, know, the last yes. time I checked, you had to be 21. So well, we're seeing 15 and 16 and 17 year olds and they're putting up the same argument with us. It's like, do you not realize that this is still against the law? Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, so that's the first argument, right? But yeah. also you're correct. A lot of the marijuana, a lot of the weed that they are smoking and, and, and what's being given to them or what they have access to is not natural. Right. It's not natural to smoke cotton candy weed or grape weed. Mm-hmm. Um, those flavors are not natural. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there are chemicals being embedded into marijuana to make it more potent, mm-hmm. to make it more stronger, more addictive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a saying when I was younger that everybody would say, hey, uh, weed is the gateway drug. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was because people were putting crystal meth in weed. People mm-hmm. were putting, you know, pills inside of it 
to make it more addictive and to make it more stronger. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's the same thing that we are seeing today also. Mm -hmm. I do believe that weed is being laced with other drugs and chemicals. There have been many uh, situations to where there have been pesticide sprays on top of weed. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've seen students pass out in school from smoking before they got to school. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've seen the effects of this unnatural weed and whatever is is inside the weed, what is what is the effect that it's having on our students mm-hmm. um, and what it's doing to their bodies. Yeah, right. So tragic. You know, just going back to the internet for a second, um, you know, we were talking about watching fight videos and all this stuff, but do you feel like part of the reason kids are seeking a way to escape, not only might home life be difficult, but on the internet, they're also exposed to all the problems going on in the world. You know, yes. I was it was funny. I was talking with one of my sons who said, Mom, did you were you worried when you were in school about nuclear war and stuff like that and different things going on in the world? I was like, not really, because, you know, my father would watch the news, but I didn't watch the news. I thought it was boring. <laughs> and my parents got the newspaper, but I didn't read the newspaper because I thought it was boring. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so I had very little awareness about what was going on when I was 15 or 16. But kids, yeah. but kids know, you know, they're like, they know Ukraine. They know, you know, Brittany Griner. They know, you know, they, yeah. they know about, you know, what's just the planet, what's going on with our planet. Mm-hmm. And um, yep. so they are so aware of so much stuff that, you know, a 14 or 15 yeah. year old isn't meant to carry. Right. Yeah, that is a lot to carry. That That's the key. You, you're completely right. With let's let's think about things like TMZ also. You know, everybody's spilling tea, and it's most of the time negative tea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, kids are more um, like drawn to the drama and um, just even traumatic things when it comes to social media, right? They want to know what's going on. Um, they know all the latest stuff, right? Yes, they do know some of the good things and the positive things, and but they know about you know who broke up with who. They know. Yep. You know, we, we've had it, we've seen it to where there was a fight in school and the fight was posted up on social media 30 seconds later and now mm. people are sharing it, you know. So now other kids are seeing this, you know, they have access to all of those things, but also to false stuff too. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that are on the internet that is not true. Yes. Um, there are false articles that are made and created. Um, there are videos that are made and created um, that, are, that they watch and it might not necessarily even be beneficial to them. Mm-hmm. Um you know, sometimes they're concerned and consumed, right, with false news and these false things, but also just all this negativity. Mm-hmm. And it does put a weight on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about if it if it puts a weight of fear? What if they watch something and it creates some type of fear in the inside of them? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They they have to carry that load. They have to carry that weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, hopefully, they find an adult or or somebody that's trusted to speak to and talk to about those things so that they can unpack it, right? right? So that they're not always walking around with those things. So I agree 100%. You're totally right. Yeah. Do you feel like there are things that black and brown youth deal with that maybe white youth don't deal with? Or do you feel like they're sort of all in the same boat? Yeah, black and brown youth have two different realities from from you know white youth it's it's so easy to pretend that everyone is meshed together mm-hmm. living in harmony but we've all seen and we've all learned that the world 
it kind of paints this picture, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the struggles of a white young man and a young black man aren't the same mm -hmm. uh, because society has already placed them in two different categories. Mm -hmm. uh, there's already a perceived agenda and all of these different statistics that show us. Let me see, you know, for an example, um, not every black youth has the story of poverty mm -hmm. and dysfunction, but are grouped into that category as lesser in the education system. Mm -hmm. Right. Let me give another example. Um, let's talk about environments. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's let's say uh, youth who are black and brown who live in the inner city, and let's say you know a white youth that lives in the suburbs. The environments and also the nature of the homes, the house setting, may be, and most of the time is completely different. Mm -hmm. um, even going back to speaking of the environment, if I live in the inner city and I'm walking out of my house uh what i see out of my front doors and what i'm looking at down the street and what i have to walk past every single morning whether i'm going to school or whether i'm going to the store is going to look completely different mm -hmm. um, from a white youth that may live in the suburbs mm -hmm. right there's different things that they're seeing there's different things that they're experiencing even down to um let's say uh let's say you go to the corner store or let's say you go to a convenience store. Um, a lot of convenience stores in the inner city have liquor stores attached and connected to them mm -hmm. um, that are owned by major banks, that are owned by big banks, even here in the city. Wow. Um, so even down to that kind of factor, you know, I'm getting off the bus and I'm getting off the bus next to a liquor store. Mm -hmm. um, I'm getting off the bus and as I get off the bus, I see drunk people hanging out outside. Mm -hmm. um, this is becoming a part of my norm. Mm -hmm. um, it's also even contributing to a poverty mindset um, and even more poverty in the lives of black and brown people because we know that struggle is real. And if, uh, let's say even a parent is struggling, you know, and they want some type of relief, right? Or mm -hmm. uh, some type of therapy, quote unquote. Um, let's say they go to the liquor store. It's right there. They have, they can just walk right across the street, right around the corner. And it's right there. Mm -hmm. um, but also, again, just the things that our youth have to walk past. Again, uh, there might be someone selling weed out on a street corner. Mm -hmm. You know, this becomes a part of your norm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's completely it's, it's different. And also, let's think about even stores, for instance, as an example, corner stores. Um, we got corner stores in the hood right on the inner city. But, you know, you go to the suburbs and there are like these markets. Right. Um, our corner stores don't have fresh produce. Right. Uh, we don't have access to the proper nutrients um, that our bodies need, right? Like lettuce, mm -hmm. um, you know, good quality meats. Right. Um, but in the suburbs, in these markets, they'll have lettuce, quality meats, and other things that are, you know, nutritious for the body. Yeah. So that also tells you a lot about what's served uh, to us due to where we live. Yeah. Yeah, those food deserts. And I read once that, you know, liquor stores and well, you said banks, which is incredible, but that yeah. purposely go into inner city areas in poor areas to um, establish liquor stores and stuff like that, which is yeah. which is exploitation of the poor. You know, it's yeah. um, it's exploiting the pain of the poor. So, yes. Which is which is terrible. Um, yeah. What kind of. Um, support system do these so i mean i know this is a huge generalization every kid is different but as you work with kids in the school do you find that most of them have 
somebody supportive at home to make sure they did their homework or to talk to them if they did get into a fight or most of them don't have something like that? No, no. Yeah. No, um, I, I'm even thinking right now, um, as you ask that question on a daily basis, right? The kind, you know, the youth that I count on a daily basis, uh, they don't have that. They don't have that support system. Um, they are used to kind of going home and parents are working shift jobs, Yeah. right? So mom might be working one or two jobs, you know, a job in the morning and also a job in the evening. Yeah. They have to get home and to help get the sibling off the bus. They've got to cook dinner for themselves and their sibling or go to the corner store and, you know, buy a Hot Pocket or something like that mm -hmm. um, and go home and eat. There's no supervision. Yeah. Um, there's no one really checking in on them, mm -hmm. holding them accountable. There's no, you know, conversations being had at the dinner table. Because, again, if mom is working two jobs, she's not getting home till later. Mm -hmm. um, but also a lot of our youth are growing up in broken homes to where we don't have a mother and a father um, in the same household with their children. So, yeah. no. Yeah. Um, and, and then we got some of our students who are staying at home with grandparents, and it's hard for grandparents to keep up with, you know, the young kids these days. Yes. Um, because you really got to stay on top of them, you know? It's yep. like, hey, did you do your homework? And they might even tell you, yeah, you know, but it's like, you, you got to physically see it, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> I need to see your homework. <laughs> yeah. Um, they just want to go outside and play or do their own thing. Right. But, um, no, they right. really don't have that support system. Yeah, when like, I was growing up, oh, go ahead. Um, sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say when I was growing up, it was a lot different. Um, you know, we would get home from school before my mom, but uh, my sister and I, my mom had expectations for us. Mm -hmm. You know, when you get home, you're going to do your chores, and after that, you know, she'll get she'll get home soon after, and she would prepare dinner. And then we would all sit at the dinner table together mm -hmm. and we would talk about our day. And she would ask us the questions, how was your day? Mm -hmm. um, she would ask us also the hard questions, you know, the things that we necessarily didn't want to talk about. But what I did not know is that mom was really preparing me, right, mm -hmm. um, to be able to be where I'm at today and to, you know, um, to be able to even have the stability, right, and to be responsible as an adult, you know, getting home and being able to do my chores. I complained. I hated it. Of course. But now, right, as an adult, I'm taking care of myself. Right. Yes. <laughs> I'm taking care of my household. Yes. You know, um, but also even those conversations that were had and what it did to me, right, it, mm -hmm. it stirred my conscience. Yes. It allowed me to be vulnerable. Yeah. It allowed me to speak and say, hey, look, this is exactly what I feel um, this is what happened throughout my day, but also I felt like mom was interested in knowing what was going on in my day. Mm -hmm. Um, and if there was something that needed to be handled, she would come up to the school, you know, whatever needed to be had, you know, um, a meeting with the principal, a uh, meeting with teachers. So she was actively involved. Mm -hmm. We don't really see that a lot nowadays. And I think something just as simple as eating together as a family mm -hmm. would, um, really, make it more of a um a stable uh, what's the word yes more stable yes yeah, thank you yeah, yeah. just more stable yeah you know and and it's a greater space right it's a more comfortable space you know for us all to speak and talk right and to talk about our day and to ask those hard questions yeah yeah so in terms of um support at home you know you talked about the double shifts and a lot of broken homes and mom needing to work so much and I'm sure that also plays into 
we talked a little while ago about the academic problems that kids are having, that they don't have a lot of motivation to stay in school. And I feel like this all goes together. Like if, if, if yes. they don't, if they don't have a parent saying, Hey, did you do your homework or, Oh, wow, you failed your test. You know, let's get you some help. If they don't have somebody at home doing, and, and maybe they are failing math, you know, or science or something. Do you feel like that sort of creates that apathy about academics? I do. I do. Um, as you were talking, I think one of the first things I thought about, I was thinking about some of our students who they're interested in playing sports, right? So mm-hmm. we got some, we have a lot of students who are phenomenal sports players. I mean, these guys are like top athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see these guys being professionals. Mm-hmm. They just don't have... Um, their academics together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they have the skill, but they don't have the academic. And the sad part about it is some of these guys actually have to get dropped from the team um, because they can't hold up that portion of the academics. Mm-hmm. Also, some of these guys will never really make it into college um, or receive certain scholarships, right? Because you need the academics along with the skill set that mm-hmm. you have. Mm-hmm. They go hand in hand. So not being able to have the accountability um, and to have someone at home being able to help me on top of you, mm-hmm. right? Um, about things like homework, it becomes more of a struggle in their late future mm-hmm. because if they're getting away with this now, it's like, well, what is it going to look like, you know, in the next marking period? Yeah. You know, if you're failing two and three marking periods, it's going to be hard for you to catch up you know really past the whole year Mm -hmm. yeah having to catch up and i know that there's also special programs um that you know different schools offer but it really becomes even a more struggle and a harder weight for them a heavier weight for them to carry Mm -hmm. right to play catch up Mm -hmm. um, or 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 to get to where they really want to be so i definitely agree that um not really having that person at home you know it, it helps to it helps it more of a struggle for them yeah. more than they actually even know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and somebody at home and somebody at home with a skill set. like um, my, yeah. my older son, his, his math is beyond me now. I was not a good math student. <laughs> I don't remember. So I mean, he'll, you know, my husband is away. And so he'll say, Hey, can you help me with this? I'm like, Nope. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'll be like, yeah, I have yeah. to talk to your teacher tomorrow. But, you know, so, but I feel grateful that, you know, my husband can help him. And, and right. I've, so most schools do have somebody who could help you, but it's that extra little, you know, you got to go see the teacher at lunchtime or you got to stay for yeah. the tutoring session or whatever. It's that extra little drive that you have to have to get the help that you need. Correct. Yes. Yes. You're absolutely right. We, you know, even even um, the school the schools do offer the resources, right? Yeah. There are after school programs that you can attend for tutoring. Um, like you said, it perfect. You know, you can go to the your teacher during lunch or whatever period. You know, your teacher may be free, and if you have a study hall or a free period, you know, or or even having an opportunity to do some kind of makeup work or hey, during that makeup work time, let me just you know um, uh, see if I can even work on homework here or you know ask for help. Mm -hmm. Um, so they have to have the willingness for it, right? They have to want to do it. And I, you know, again, there's really no excuses. It's just that motivation to being able to say, you know what, this is what I need. I think too, the bar, the 
standard is really being dropped. Um, mm -hmm. When we're speaking academic wise, kids would, would strive before for A's, mm -hmm. uh, B's, and, and you know, I was like a B, C kind of student, uh -huh. maybe a few D's and I was really struggling, yeah. but I'm like, I got a D and I know that I've been struggling with this math class all year long, even if I did my homework every single time, I felt happy that at least I passed, right? And I'm like, okay, like I passed this marking period, next marking period, you know, let me get the necessary help that I do need. Yeah. So I did have those moments, but even with those Ds just passing, but now um, some students are just uh, settling for Ds mm -hmm. completely. Yeah. Or yeah. even even Fs, you know, or they have to have that willingness to go out there and receive that necessary help. Mm -hmm. We have, again, the resources, but also um, we have uh, some students who are IEP students, right? So we have some students that might also be struggling with just how they retain information. Mm -hmm. um, we have resources for that as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we have it all. Yeah. The schools have it. Yeah. We have it. Yeah, I think there just has to be something in you. Um, either you see somebody that you want, what they have, you know, it's one of the problems with concentrations of poverty. If all you see around you is poverty and you never yeah. see anything different, it's hard. The only different thing you might see is some ridiculously wealthy person in Hollywood, you know, but you don't, yes. but you don't have a next door neighbor who goes on nice vacations and, you know, you, you don't, yeah. get to, you don't get to see a different way of life. It's one of the reasons why diversity economic diversity is really important when you go to school with people who have more than you have who have less yes. than you have you know it gives you something to strive for um and i think even even i don't mean to cut you off but i just want to put a pen in your even like what you just said was so rich um because when you get it you know it, I, I always say this and i use this a lot in my youth ministry exposure is one of the greatest teachers yes you know when you are exposed to the right things in life and you are exposed to things um, that you've never had or really seen, even something just as small as, you know, taking a kid from the inner city and taking them out of town, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and, and allowing them to have that experience, it creates desire. Yeah. Maybe, you know, they, they get to see things that they might want. Hey, may, I want a house like this one day. Yep. You know, I would love to live somewhere near here. Or you know what? I just passed by an NFL stadium and it creates a deeper desire. Like, wow, I really want to just, you know, go for playing football in school. Yeah. Um, so when they are exposed to more, it helps to create that desire yep. for, for them to want more out of life. Yeah. I feel so blessed because, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn and my family lived in a rent controlled apartment. But, okay. the, but, the, but the, the neighborhood was economically diverse. So there were apartment uh, buildings like ours, but then there were also brownstones, wealthy people living in brownstones. And we all went to the same school, elementary school and middle school. And, oh, wow. <laughs> and, yeah. And so um, I had friends in the apartment building, but then I also had friends who lived in those really wealthy brownstones. And when I went to their house, I'm thinking of my best friend in particular lived in one of those brownstones. I wanted a house like that. Um, yes. And and college was a definite. Like everybody in that brownstone world was, their parents were college educated and they would be going to college. 
So yeah, I, I feel like I grew up with the benefit of that kind of diversity. So there was never, yeah. there was never anything in my mind that said, I'm not going to college because, you know, my friends went to college and their parents yes. went to college. And by, by seeing their beautiful homes and the fact that their parents were college educated, I sort of put two and two together. Oh, to have a nice home, you know, you got to go to college. Not all, yeah. not all the time, obviously, but you know, Anyway, uh, yes. Let's let's shift. Be um, we're almost. Can, like, I, thought, can, can oh, I say one thing about that? Yeah, too? go ahead. Um, what you said again. There was a lot of weight behind that. I think also too that has a lot to do with our upbringing and how we're raised, mm. um, and, and the kind of places where we come from. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up the exact same way as well. My mother was big on me. Just hey, make friends. You know what I mean? Like get yeah. to know different people. So. I hate like I hate to use the term hot spot, but like my house um, for a lot of years was the hot spot in a good sense to where um, kids would come all over mm -hmm. Greece, the inner city, Rondekoy, right to my house, and we would play basketball mm -hmm. right to my house. And it was just because I was a social person. Mm -hmm. um, I love people. That was just a part of who I was, how I was raised, and um, me being able to see people for who they are. And not always for what they have, but to be inspired, I would say, and not jealous, mm -hmm. you know, because you can see someone that has more than you or that has or whose parents or who has been working hard for something. And you're like, hey, I'm on the other side of the fence and I'm working hard over here, but it doesn't feel like I'm getting the same results. Mm -hmm. So I think um, just also by how I was raised contributes also to how diverse I was. But then also my experience like college, mm -hmm. you know, me going to college and meeting different people from around the world. I met people from Aruba, China. It was amazing. <laughs> um, and it allowed me to have a, a greater respect for them um, from where they've come from, um, their beliefs. You know, it, it just it created, you know, more respect for people. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to say, I think that also has a lot to do with where we come from, how we're raised, mm -hmm. um, and, and also our households. Yes. Yes. The fact that your mother put such an emphasis on people and you yeah. learned, you learned how to talk in terms of just interacting with people around the dinner table. I did too. You know, yeah. we, we would, we talked about everything around the dinner table. My father as well. One thing yeah. I can say about my dad was that, um, no matter where he went, he can make a friend every, anywhere. It yeah. didn't matter. Yeah, we could be in the middle of the laundromat washing clothes, and my dad would, you know, um, whether it was cracking a joke or just walking up to somebody and starting a conversation. Yep. Not only did he know how to put a smile on somebody's face, but he knew how to have conversation. Yes. Um, and you didn't have to look like him. You didn't have to come from where he came from. I think it was just that part of just being social. Yep. Yeah. And not wanting anything in return. It's just hey, you know, we're people. We're social beings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, you're you're like a we're like twins here. It was the same yeah. thing. It was the same thing. My father too. My I remember on Sunday mornings, my father would um go and get the New York Times at a corner store, and often it would it would be like an hour later he would come home, and we'd be mm -hmm. like, "Yep, Dad's talking to somebody." You know, wow. <laughs> the store was only five minutes away, but he'd come home an hour later. You know, and it's because he bumped into somebody and they'd be chatting yep. on the corner. You know, and it's yep. same thing. He didn't care what color, whether you were rich yep. or poor. It didn't care. He just yep. he knew how to talk to people. He had a way. Yeah, my wife would tell you the same thing about me right now to this mm -hmm. day. I'm the same way. Mm -hmm. um, 
we'd be going to the mall and getting something to eat inside the food court or something. And the next thing I know, I'm in line talking with the guy at the cash register and we're talking about sports or we're talking about, you know, whatever we have the same interest in or I'm giving them a compliment. Hey, I like your shoes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it just started a whole conversation. Mm -hmm. And she's sitting there pinching my hand like, okay, enough. I'm hungry. Let's go. (laughs) Stop talking. Yeah. Stop talking. Yeah. Let's let's shift um, to the church world. Um, do you see a difference in the youth that you minister to as a youth pastor as opposed to the youth that you see in the schools? Wow, this is a great question. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to answer this in two different ways. So the first part, I'm going to say no, mm-hmm. right? Kids, our kids, our youth, the same youth that we minister to, um, are also the same kinds of kids that I'm working with in the schools, right? Mm-hmm. They have similar struggles. They, they're going through similar things. They have similar pressures that they're feeling and experiencing from other people and peers, um, but also just from this world and from the culture of this world, they're experiencing similar things. The thing that I can say is very different. I'm able to really walk more and walk closer mm-hmm. with uh, the kids that are part of our ministry, mm-hmm. um, especially knowing that we operate as a village mm-hmm. um, and, and with Christ being the core of our foundation, mm-hmm. I'm able to really walk beside our youth and to be more, um, what I will tell them, I'm always going to be in your business. <laughs> so I'm able to be more in their business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have that opportunity to offer assistance and to establish more of a relationship also with parents it's not easy to do that at school. Yeah. You know, I've made great relationships with um, some of our students at the school, but sometimes when I'm calling, you know, whether I'm calling a parent just to get in touch or just to give them an update on something, um, you don't always, you don't always uh, have somebody answering the phone or it's a wrong number mm-hmm. or, you know, parents are not really engaged in the conversation. Mm-hmm. But then we have some parents that I have, Again, I've established great relationships mm-hmm. with um, our students at school. I got their numbers right in my cell phone. Mm-hmm. I'll call them from my cell phone and, you know, we'll, we'll chat, mm-hmm. talk about um, their child's week. Um, or if they have any questions about something that's been going on or some concerns, mm-hmm. you know, they can um, call me directly. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just it's about that access. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't go to we don't go home with these kids from school. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't really know what they're walking into as they go home and what they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the kids inside of our ministry, um, there's more engagement, there's more relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really try to walk with them as close as we can um, and to always be in their business again. Mm-hmm. That is my business to be in your business. <laughs> but, <laughs> to like help guide them. but to help guide them, you know, yeah. I didn't necessarily have that growing up, mm-hmm. but, you know, to be able to offer this to them, and for them to um, have someone that they can come to um, and someone to also help hold them accountable, yeah. I think is a, I think I'm a great resource. Oh, um, I have no doubt. <laughs> 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 my, my sons are both in your ministry uh, and your wife's you and your wife's ministry, you minister together. And, um, yes. and so I could say very, authoritatively that you are a tremendous blessing and a tremendous oh, resource you. you and and pastor jazz both thank you so much yeah I, I really when i say thank you i'm saying thank you in my heart because to even hear that you don't always you know this is not a bad thing but you don't always hear that especially from the kids you won't always get that mm-hmm. but you know 
ministry, especially with youth, it's about the long run, right? You don't always get to see the fruit at the top right now. You don't always get to see the results that you want right now, mm-hmm. but you get to see it over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the real thank yous, I'm, I'm waiting for them 10 to 15 years from now <laughs> when we're invited to the weddings, right? right? Yeah. Um, and when we see them being able to just have you know children and to um, just live these beautiful lives, that's the real thank you. Yeah. Um, but also, I'm not negating your thank you. <laughs> yeah, right. No, <laughs> I, I get it. That. Yeah. No, yeah. whenever the parents also tell us, you know, that it's, it feels good to know that we're doing a good job. Yeah. Yeah. So my my last question for you is if you could get every parent in America in a room <laughs> and and you were asked to give them advice, what would what advice would you give to American parents today? I would tell them that your words and your actions have to align. Mm. Your words and your actions have to align. Um, the pattern of your life, it's an instructional aid to your child. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do demonstrates what you believe, even if you even if you verbally say the opposite. Um, the reason why I say this is because uh, youth, um, they, they watch more than they listen. Mm-hmm. They're watching more than they listen. So um, the things that are demonstrated in front of them um, and the things that are said, they have to align. And if they're opposite, you know, it, it creates problems. The other thing that I would also like to add to this is having healthy conversations. It's important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, remember, you know, to um, ask your, your children questions, you know, um, get in their business, have the hard conversations with them. Mm-hmm. But I'm even just reminded of, as I talked about earlier, being able to eat dinner with my mother and my sister at the table. Um, and we had those conversations. How was your day? Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? Mm-hmm. Um, it's important that we do that. Yeah, it's going to help to create healthier relationships between the children and their parents. Yeah. and that's what we need. We need those relationships. We need healthy relationships. Yeah, like we talked about before, all the things that they're carrying with access to the internet. You know, how how are you? What do you think about the war in Ukraine? What do you think about? This yeah. is not happening because they've heard about it. And the hardest ones are when, you know, when there's been a shooting or something and you and you how are you doing with that? Do you feel afraid or so? Yes, especially since they know so much, they have to have a trusted adult to talk about yeah. it with. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And their opinion does matter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> their opinion, it, it, it matters. And they want to be able to weigh in on these conversations. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. They know more you than know? we think they know. And they're wiser than we think they are. They know more than we think that they do. That is absolutely correct. Yeah. Because, again, like you said, the exposure to what they're exposed to, they know yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Even the things that you didn't teach them. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like, how did you know that? Yeah, right. A lot of parents, right, we brush things off like, you don't know about this. And it's like, mom, I actually do know about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, well, Pastor Don, this has been so rich. I am so grateful for your time today sharing with us. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Oh, well, Give my regards to your wife, your beautiful wife, Pastor Jazz, and we'll see you next time. This is Nicole Doily. Special thanks to Dan Parker for producing this episode of Let's Talk. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.